I want to talk to you about the amazing love of God to us today. And I want to begin by uh, telling you that uh, even though I have absolutely no experience in this, I understand that Baskin-Robbins offers 31 flavors of ice cream. It's my understanding. Never been there and t- checked that out myself because you all know how disciplined I am. <clears throat> 31 flavors. And there's a new place, I understand, in Goldsboro where you can uh, get all kind of flavors and put all kind of stuff on it. And I haven't checked that place out yet. Uh, how many of y'all checked that place out? Okay, all right. So what's it called? Wow. Okay. Um, something about Kiwi. All right. I heard about a store in New York City that offers over 3,000 kinds of light bulbs. We, uh, we like variety in this country, don't we? Y'all been to the bread aisle at Walmart lately? How many breads do we offer? How many breads can you get in this country? And if you want a soft drink, you've got to pick the brand. 7-Up, Pepsi, Coke, Dr. Pepper, Sprite, Root Beer, Sierra, Mist, Orange, Grape, and God forbid we leave out Mountain Dew. And tea. How many of y'all like some good tea? Let me tell you Yankees about our tea. multi-purpose you can drink it or pour it on your pancakes amen amen you go to Parker's or Wilbur's and have you some tea you'll be in a coma but it's a good way to go let me tell you well once you pick your brand of soft drink you got to pick your size then you got to decide if you want in a bottle can or cup then you got to decide if you want it with sugar or no sugar or some kind of artificial sweetener, embalming fluid, whatever. <laughs> then you got to decide if you want caffeine or no caffeine or some combination of all the different kinds. Variety is everywhere, but what I wanted to say to you this morning is that there is only one Savior of your soul, and that is Jesus Christ. To be frank with you, this church exists not to give a lot of choices, but to tell you there's one way. And I know, I know, guys, in our culture, it's really offensive to say that because the world's message is that there are many ways to God. I'm just telling you what Jesus said. He said, if you want to get to the Father, and I don't know if you all know where the Father is, but last time I checked, he's in heaven. So I'm really wanting to get to him, aren't you? Jesus said, I'm the way. I'm not, he didn't say I'm a way, he said I'm the way, I am the truth and the life. And the Bible, the most popular verse in the Bible, John 3.16 says, he is the only begotten Son of God. He is the, in the French Bible, and I didn't even know they had one, but in the French Bible, it says the unique Son of God. At the transfiguration of Jesus in Matthew chapter 17. And if you don't know what the transfiguration of Jesus is, that's a great study for you. I did a series of messages on that several years ago. Now we know that the Father said this about Jesus at the baptism. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. But he also said it at the Mount of Transfiguration. He said, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And then God said something he didn't say at the baptism. He said, hear ye him. Listen to his words. The bridge, this church, exists for the purpose of magnifying 
the one and only, true and living God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. We come to magnify him in worship, which we just did. The choir led us in worship. Didn't you like Tove on that, on that violin over there? Amen. Wasn't that awesome? For you country folks, fiddle. But the bridge exists to worship God, but not only in singing, lifting our hands and our voices, but through the Word, and that's what we're going to do now. Well, I want to talk to you about Jesus, and it would seem that if I wanted to talk to you about Jesus, that I would go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, but can I tell you that the whole Bible is about Jesus? Jesus is on every page of the Bible. And if you miss that, then you need to go back and reread it because you miss the meaning of the scriptures. So what we're going to do is we're going to go 700 years before Jesus ever came on the scene. And we're going to go back to the book of Isaiah. And if you have your Bible with you and you want to turn with me, you can. The scriptures will also be up on the screen. At least most of them will. But we're going to go to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 3 in this Old Testament chapter, again 700 years before Jesus started his ministry on this earth, we find the story in the Old Testament of the Lord Jesus Christ. We will see in this message today the biography of a king. Today you're going to hear the gospel, not according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, but again according to an Old Testament prophet named Isaiah. Isaiah 53 is a very special chapter in the Bible. Some of the greatest Bible scholars in the world have called Isaiah chapter 53 the greatest chapter in the whole Bible. Martin Luther of old said this about Isaiah 53. He said it ought to be written on golden parchment with diamonds for letters. Let's look at five things today. And I'm going to go ahead and give you my outline and that way you'll know when I'm coming in for a landing. Now, I found this outline. There wasn't, any, there wasn't any words under each point. So what I did was I took this outline from a preacher from way back, uh, one of the old guys. I got to tell you all something. I like, to, I like to check out the old guys to make sure I'm on track. Amen? I, I love the new and the modern, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I thank God for what he's doing and the creative things he's doing in church, but I like to go back and read what the old guys said to make sure I'm still hitting the bullseye in the middle. And I don't even remember where I got this outline. I just found it as I was searching a couple of months ago for what I would say to you on Easter Sunday. And I found these five things that make Easter possible. Number one, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Number two, the victorious life, or, or the virtuous life, rather, the virtuous life of Jesus Christ. The third thing, the vicarious death of Jesus. The fourth thing, the victorious resurrection of Jesus. And then the fifth thing, the visible return of Jesus. So I want you to put your spiritual tennis shoes on because you're at the right service today. I got to quit at a certain time. So you came to the right service today. But you better listen fast, because I'm going to put it out there. Y'all ready to go? Let's get in the Word of God today. Number one, the virgin birth of Jesus. Now, a lot of people don't think so, but it's right here in Isaiah. It's right here in the Old Testament. Look what it says in Isaiah 53, 
verse 1 and the first part of verse 2. It says, who has believed our report? And what that question means is, who has believed what we've seen and heard? And the next question is, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now that sounds very um, poetic. What he really means there uh, to us, so we'll understand that question is, who thought God's saving power would look like this? That's what he's asking. Who thought God's saving power would look like Jesus? The Bible says in verse 2, Isaiah 53, verse 2, For he, Jesus, shall grow up before him, the Father, as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. This is speaking to us about Jesus as a little baby in the world, a tender plant growing up out of a dry and barren land. You say, Pastor, I don't think Isaiah really knew anything about the virgin birth. I mean, him being in the Old Testament and all. Well, let's see if Isaiah knew something about the virgin birth. In Isaiah 7, 14, and this scripture's not on the screen, but you can, um, re you'll remember this. Isaiah 7, 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name. Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. Now this next verse I'm going to read. It's going to make you want to get your Christmas lights back out. Isaiah 9 and 6, For unto us a child is born. What book did I say this is in? Isaiah, the Old Testament. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. When I look at how the governments run, I'm so glad one day Jesus is going to be in charge of everything, aren't you? The government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. I want you to say something with me today. I want you to say with me out loud, thank God for the virgin birth. Thank God for the virgin birth. You say, is it really that important, Pastor? See, you've got to thank God for the Lord Jesus who left his heavenly home. He left his heavenly throne. He came down to a world of desolation one dark Judean night. He came to us through the portals of a virgin's womb, was born in a smelly old cow barn, and was wrapped in coarse cloth and laid in straw in a borrowed manger. You say, how important is the virgin birth? Listen to this now. Listen. No virgin birth. No deity. No deity, no sinlessness. Tell him I said hello. Here it is. If you got your phone on, turn it off right now, okay? No virgin birth, no deity. No deity, no sinlessness. No sinlessness, no blood atonement. If there's no blood atonement, then there's no new birth. If there's no new birth, then there's no hope of heaven. I don't know about you, but I'm more thankful for the virgin birth right now than I've been in a long time. Did y'all get that? I want to go through it again. Listen carefully. If Jesus was not born of a virgin, then he is not God. If Jesus is not God, then he is not sinless. If he is not sinless, then his blood shed on the cross means nothing. 
If his blood shed on the cross means nothing, then we cannot be born again into the family of God. If we cannot be born again into the family of God, then we have no hope of heaven. Say it with me again. Thank God for the virgin birth. Thank God for it. I like what one writer said. He said, Jesus came to earth so we could go to heaven. Jesus was born of a virgin so we could be born again. He became the Son of Man so that we might become the sons and daughters of Almighty God. So the Old Testament prophet Isaiah talks to us about the virgin birth. The Lord Jesus Christ stepping out of glory, coming to the earth as a tender plant in a barren desert, as a root out of a dry ground. Look at the second thing with me. I want you to look at his virtuous life. The virtuous life of Jesus. The sinless life. Isaiah 53, the last part of verse 2. We read the first part of verse 2. Now let's read the last part. It says about Jesus in Isaiah 53 that he had no form or comeliness. That means there was nothing attractive about Jesus. Have y'all seen some of these pictures of Jesus? 6'5", 45-inch chest, 32-inch waistline, hair blowing in the wind. He didn't look like that. The Bible says there was nothing about Jesus that would make you take a second glance. Jesus was a plain man. Jesus was a nondescript man. Look what it says about him. He had no form or comeliness, nothing attractive. And when we see him, there is no beauty that would cause us to desire him. He is despised, the Bible says. He is rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. This speaks of his virtuous life, the way he lived. See, you would think, or I would at least, that the king of kings would have arrived on a downtown metropolitan street in the biggest city in the world and just come down... um, you know, on eagle, uh, I mean, with uh, angels just bringing him down, uh, kind of like Satan in uh, Luke chapter 4 wanted Jesus to jump off the pinnacle of the temple, and he said the angels will take charge and bring you down. to the, You know, you would have thought Jesus would have come like that to get some attention, but the Bible says he was born in a little hamlet called Bethlehem. You would have thought that the Lord Jesus would have come down covered in robes of royalty with a golden crown on his head, riding a chariot covered with the most precious jewels. But he came as a little baby, wrapped in coarse cloth, because that's all Mary and Joseph could afford to wrap him in. You would have thought that he would have been raised in a king's palace like the world has never seen. But he was raised in a simple home, the home of a humble carpenter, in the obscure and hated village of Nazareth. You remember the question that was asked about Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? You would have thought Jesus would have arrived in opulence and wealth and power. But this is what Jesus said about himself. He said, foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. He said, I do not have a place of my own where I can lay my head. Don't get the idea that if you had seen the Lord Jesus, you would have recognized him as deity. The fact is you would not have seen anything with your human eyes that would have revealed one clue to you about who he really was. Look what it says. No form or comeliness, no beauty 
You say, well, I believe he stood out. Pastor, you mean Jesus was hideous to look at? No, he was just plain. He was just an average man to look at. As a matter of fact, when they came to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, you remember that? Judas had to point him out and show the guards which one he was because there was nothing about him that stood out. Isaiah tells us here how plain Jesus was. I was reading in John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, it says, y'all read this. This is a lot of Christmas stuff today. The Word became flesh and what? Dwelt among us. That word dwelt or lived actually in the Hebrew is the word tabernacled. So let's read it that way. The, the Word was made flesh and tabernacled among us. Now, why would John use the word tabernacled? Well, to know why he would use the word tabernacled, you've got to go back to the Old Testament and look at the tabernacle. Because the tabernacle was that mobile church that Moses carried around with him in uh, the wilderness. Now, y'all saw Moses on TV last night. He was on TV last night. Did y'all see Moses? Charlton Heston? And, um, and, and he t carried this uh, uh, tabernacle around. And this tabernacle, listen carefully, this tabernacle was designed very specifically according to the very specific commands of the Lord. Now, on the outside of the tabernacle, you know what it was covered with on the outside? Listen to this. Badger skins. Drab, brown Badger skins. There was nothing about the outside of the tabernacle that made people say, oh, that's beautiful. Oh, look at the tabernacle. It was very drab. Uh, it was very plain. There was nothing about the outside uh, that attracted you. And, and you have to understand that the tabernacle is a picture of Jesus. Now, when you went into the tabernacle, when you walked through the gate and went inside, you would be in awe of the beauty. You would see all of, the, all of the indescribable embroidery and the gold and you would see the lampstand and if you were allowed to go in, you would see the Ark of the Covenant and the Mercy Seat and you would see everything covered in gold and, and you would hardly be able to breathe at the beauty, the laver, the altar, uh, all of the beauty of the inside. You see, what he's telling us there is there's nothing about the outside of Jesus that is attractive. That's why people in the world today they say, what's the big deal about Jesus? Listen to me. You have to come into him to see the beauty. You have to come in. And if you have not come into Jesus, I invite you on this Easter morning to walk through the gate. To come through the door and see the beauty of Jesus. The natural eye cannot see it. He said in his word, he said, the carnal, the natural man, the man who doesn't know God, he, he can't comprehend the things of God. He can't comprehend spiritual things. So walk through that gate today. Come to see the beauty of Jesus. Jesus was described as a man of sorrows. Now, he was not without sorrow, but he was without sin. We could say a lot about the virtuous life of Jesus. We could talk about his miracles. We could talk about his words, his acts of love. I love this statement about Jesus in the Bible. It says he went about doing good. Jesus just went about doing good. So the virgin birth and the virtuous life, will you look at the third thing with me today? I'm doing good, doing good. 
Let's look at the vicarious death of Jesus. The word vicarious means in the place of another. He died in the place of another. You know who he died for? He died for me. He died in my place. He died in your place. Let's look at what the Bible says. And this is a longer passage of Scripture. Here we'll read, but it's very beautiful, so listen to every word. Surely, he was born, he has borne our griefs. That means he has took upon himself our griefs, carried our sorrows. Yet, we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. You know what that means? That means on the day that Jesus died, that those who observed his death and observed what he went through thought he deserved it. They thought he had done something to deserve it. And there were false accusations and people were crying out, crucify him, crucify him. And, and things were being said about Jesus that were totally untrue. And so the people esteemed him stricken and smitten by God. They thought God was doing this. The Bible says in verse 5, but, he's, but he was wounded for our transgressions or sins. He was bruised for our iniquities, another word for sin. The chastisement of our peace, in other words, the thing that would bring us peace, the chastisement we deserve, that word chastening means scourging, it means, it means discipline, it means uh, punishment. The chastisement of our peace was not on us. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him and by His stripes. We are healed. The primary meaning there is that we are healed spiritually. Now, I believe it encompasses physical healing, but do not be confused today. Your spiritual healing is far more important than your physical healing. By his stripes, we are healed. The Bible says about us, we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. You know, we uh, hear people say, we're God's little lambs. We're God's little sheep. And we just think that's a compliment from the word of God, but it's not because sheep are dumb. Let me tell you some things about sheep. They're dumb, defenseless, have no sense of direction, and they're totally dependent. He said, we are like sheep. You say, how do you know sheep are dumb? You ever seen a sheep trick? You ever had somebody call you and say, come over here and see my trick I taught my sheep? They're dumb. And right there in verse 6 it says, we like sheep. Everybody, gotta, everybody here go, bah. <laughs> and we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord in heaven, the Father, has laid on him, Jesus, the sin, the iniquity of how many of us? All of us. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Now this is the Old Testament talking about Jesus. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was killed, was crucified. Why? For the transgressions of my people. Now, 
This is an Old Testament scripture, so the, the perfect context of that is that he died for the Jews. God is saying he, he uh, for the transgressions of my people, the Jews, he was stricken. But in the New Testament, we are taught that as Gentiles, we too are brought under that covering. Is anybody happy about that today? Amen. Don't you fail to be happy about that. He could have he just saved it for those chosen people, but he brought us under the covering of that salvation. Thank God. Now, there's a lot of reasons for the cross, and there are a lot of lessons I could teach about the cross today, but the primary purpose of the cross, listen to me, was substitution. Substitution. He died for you. He died for me. I, I read recently that Rembrandt, the great artist, a great man of faith, when he painted the picture of the crucifixion scene, he painted his own face on one of the people in the crowd because he said, I was there. I crucified the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, it was for our sin. So let me talk about four things under vicarious death, and I'll go through these quickly, but I want to talk to you about four things that he bore on the cross for us. Everybody ready? He bore our sin. You say, I know that, but I want to nail this down. You see, listen, listen. Sin has to be punished. I mean, that's just how God set it up. Sin has to be punished. Your sin has to be punished. My sin has to be punished. Here's the question. Who's going to bear that punishment? Who's going to bear that punishment? Either I will bear the punishment for my sin, or I will have a substitute who will bear the punishment for my sin. So the Bible says here that all of our sins were laid upon the Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord, again, verse 6, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What did Jesus do as my substitute? And I want you to listen very carefully to me here because I'm going to tell you in the next few minutes why we sing. I'm going to tell you why we lift our hands. Probably some of you here today this worship style that we have is a little outside your comfort zone. And, and uh, we don't apologize for that, but let me say at the same time, we don't expect you to worship like we do. You, you worship God as you are led by Him to worship you. We don't believe in cookie-cutter Christians around here. We believe different uh, people have different ways of expressing their love to God. And the people said, amen. So we don't say, everybody's got to do this or everybody's got to do that. But you have to understand that the longer you're in God, the more you realize what he did for you and the happier you get about it. So, so we get really happy around here sometimes about what he did for us, so just bear with us. When Jesus went to the cross, he took with him my sin and your sin. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he made him who knew no sin, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become righteous. That we might become the righteousness of God in Jesus. Our righteousness before God is in Jesus, but you have to receive what Jesus did for you. See, a lot of people think Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, so now man has been restored back to God. Not true. If that man chooses God, if that man follows 
God. If that man turns his back on sin, self, and Satan, understands what Jesus did for him, and says, thank you, Lord, and I receive the gift of your salvation, then that man, Romans, Romans, is adopted into the family of God. So this whole fatherhood of God thing, you can just throw that out the window. Because the fatherhood of God theology says we're all God's children. Everybody's God's children. We're all going to heaven. If you receive the gift of salvation, if you receive what he did for you. Look at Isaiah 53 and 5 again. But he was wounded. He was pierced. That word wounded in the Hebrew means pierced. He was wounded. That means nailed for our transgressions, bruised for our, iniquity, our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was put on him, and by his stripes we are healed. i got to tell you guys, when I think about Gethsemane, when I think about Jesus in the garden that night with his disciples when they couldn't stay awake, and Jesus knew that his crucifixion was at hand, when I study what went on at, the, um, at that scene in Gethsemane, i got to tell you, my heart is more and more broken for the suffering that Jesus went through, not just when they arrested him and began to beat him and put on him the crown of thorns and all of that, but his suffering, actually, the, the suffering of Calvary really started in depth in the Garden of Gethsemane because it was there that Jesus said, Father, if it is possible, if there's any other way to bring Pharaoh back to you, if there's any other way to bring Scott back to you, if there's any other way to bring Millie back to you, if there's any other way to bring the people of Wayne County back to you, if there's any other way, please let this cup pass from me. Jesus said, let this cup pass from me. Jesus was not speaking here of the physical torture. When we think about the suffering of Jesus, we think about the movie, The Passion of the Christ, and we think about that horrible, horrible scene when they whipped him and whipped him and whipped him and whipped him, and we think that was the greatest suffering that Jesus experienced, but it was not. I want to tell you the greatest suffering he experienced was when he looked at God and said, if there's any other way, let this cup Pass for me. My sin was in that cup. Your sin was in that cup. Everybody in this congregation, their sin was in that cup. Listen to me. Every man and every sin, every man, woman created, did before Jesus was in the garden was in that cup. Every sin of everybody living that day, every sin of us right here today in the future was in that bitter cup. All the people of all the ages, the sin of every man, woman, and person who understood right from wrong was in that cup. Every rape that's ever been committed was in that cup. Every child molestation that has ever been done or ever will be done in the future was in that cup. Every murder, every arson, every abuse, every act of pornography, every act of slavery, every blasphemous 
thought or word the millions of murders of unborn babies through abortion all of the sex trafficking we hear so much about today you say oh thank goodness I don't do any of that stuff how about these every bit of hatred every bit of gossip every bit of unforgiveness every lie every cheat the pride, the arrogance, the bitterness, the vileness, every act of adultery, every act of fornication, I could go on and on. Do you understand what I'm saying to you today? Every sin of every person ever created for all the ages was in that cup. And of all people, Jesus understood that if he drank that cup, if he took upon us, upon himself, our sin, that his Father in heaven, who he had always been in the bosom of his Father, he had always been near to his Father, he had always been in heaven with his Father, he understood that once he took that cup of our sin and he drank that cup, every last drop, every drag of that cup, he knew that his Father would have to treat him the way he would treat any person who rebelled against God because of their sin. He knew that instead of being the object of his father's compassion, he would become the object of the father's loathing. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's why Jesus said, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But silence from heaven said to Jesus, there's no other way to bring Pharaoh back. There's no other way to bring Pastor Andy back. There's no other way to bring anyone back to me unless you drink this cup. Silence from heaven said that, and Jesus drank that cup every drop. No wonder we stand in this church and sing, My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. I'll tell you something. Next time we sing that song in this church, we ought to sing it at a HNL. Amen? You know what? It, we got to tell our visitors what HNL is. Whole nother level. You know what we do? We go through these songs sometimes, we don't even think about it. When you're singing and when you're worshiping, I want you to look at the words of those songs. You say, sometimes I don't understand what they mean. Well, pray God will give you understanding. The second thing he bore was our shame. He bore our shame. Look what it says in verse 7, Isaiah 53. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. The key here is the same phrase repeated twice in this verse. He opened not his mouth. What does that mean? What does that got to do with him bearing my shame? Listen. Y'all remember when Jesus was standing before Pilate? You remember when Pilate said, said, why don't you say something? Jesus was just standing there, blood dripping, crown of thorns whipped 
Jesus just standing there. If you've seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ, think about that scene where he's just standing before Pilate. Pilate says, say something. Don't you hear what these people are accusing you of? If you're the son of God, tell us. Why don't you defend yourself? Don't just stand there. Stand up for yourself. Say something. And I got to tell you, there have been times in my life when I was less mature in the Lord than I am now and didn't understand the things I understand now. And when I would hear that story, I would say, yeah, Jesus, say something. Don't just stand there and take it. Say something back. Tell him who you are. Tell him what this is all about. I remember as a kid, I was thinking, turn Pilate into a frog. You can do it. <laughs> but I want you to listen to me. Jesus could not have justified himself before Pilate without condemning you and I. Here's what I mean. When he was... If I'm standing where Pilate was and Jesus is down there, Jesus could have said, time out. Let me, let me make something clear. It's not my sin. It's not my, I've done nothing wrong. It's Pharaoh's sin. But the Bible says he didn't say anything. You know why? Because Jesus didn't have to just bear my sin. Listen to me. He had to bear the shame of my sin. And if he had told everybody and deflected the shame on me, then he could not have been my substitute. So that's why Jesus didn't say anything. He didn't defend himself. Because it wasn't enough he bore your sin, he also bore your shame. Thank you, Jesus. He could have died a hero. I mean, if he'd stood up for himself, he could have died a hero that day. But he didn't. He had to die a criminal. He had to die a murderer. He had to die bearing every sin of every person, past, present, and future, and the shame that goes along with it. Listen to me. He hung in shame naked on that cross for you and for me. And that's why you ought not to be ashamed of him. You ought not to be ashamed of him. Listen to me. Don't be ashamed to carry your Bible with you. I mean, there's some people come in here on Sunday morning, they got a Bible looks like an old Sears and Roebuck catalog. I like Bibles like that. Look like they brought their family Bible from the house, you know? <laughs> but take it into Starbucks with you. I don't mean your family Bible, but take your Bible in there. Don't you be ashamed to bow your head in a restaurant when you're going to have your meal. Don't you be ashamed of Jesus. He wasn't ashamed of you. Listen, he took your shame. The least you can do is not be ashamed of him. Those of you who tell me you're Christians but you've never been baptized, come on now. You say, y'all going to mess my hair up. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Now, I'm not picking on people who sprinkle, but we don't sprinkle around here. We hold you under till you say tithe. <laughs> you know why people don't get baptized? Because it's humiliating. It's humiliating to go into a pool of water and get wet, and you come out and your hair is flat. I got, I, I got to tell you something. I know it's death to sin, and when you come out, it's resurrection to a new life. But I think the Lord made water baptism what he did because it causes you to humble yourself before him. So if you're out there and you're telling everybody you're a Christian, but you keep putting off water baptism, come on. 
Come on, it's time, to, it's time to be baptized. Don't be ashamed. Because when you're baptized, you're saying, I identify with Jesus. I want the world to know I'm a follower of Jesus. So he bore our sin and he bore our shame. Number three, he bore our suffering. And I, I'm going to go through the rest of this very quickly. He was taken from prison and from judgment and who will declare his generation. For he was cut off, crucified from the land of the living for the transgression of my people. He was stricken and they made his grave with the wicked but with the rich at his death. The Hebrew word there for death is not death, but it is actually an intensive plural, which, mean, which means deaths. It's, it's important that you understand that Jesus didn't just die a death. He died of many, many deaths. We, we have an old idiom we use, he died a thousand deaths. Well, I want to tell you, Jesus didn't die a thousand deaths. He died multiplied billions of deaths, for he died for each one of us. He suffered for each one of us. How much did he suffer on that cross? I don't mean to offend your sensitivities today, but the only people who understand anything about the suffering of Jesus on the cross are those who are in hell. They're the only ones who can begin to know the price he paid. But even they don't really fully know because they're still paying and they're only paying for their sins. Jesus paid it all for every person for all time. No wonder he shrunk back. No wonder he withdrew a little bit in the Garden of Gethsemane and said, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. And fourthly, he bore our separation. The Bible says in verse 9, he was cut off. Now you've got to get this, and this, this just gets me. This just grabs my heart. He had always been with his father from eternity. But as he takes upon himself our sin, he's separated from his father. One of the most heart-wrenching things you will ever see is the separation of a, a child from a parent. It was Jesus who cried out from the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me. You say, but pastor, I believe what was happening there, Jesus was quoting David because King David had already said in Psalm 22 those words, so I think he was quoting David. See, you need to go back to Bible school. Jesus wasn't quoting David. You back up to Psalm 22, it was David quoting what the Messiah would say on the cross. It was a prophetic quotation of what Jesus would say on the cross. Y'all with me out there? When Jesus died and said, it is finished, hell taunted him. Hell had a holiday. Listen to me. The father turned his back. The disciples fled away. The only people who were with Jesus were laughing at him. The father's back to him. Hell having a party. The disciples flee in fear. The only people with Jesus were the ones who hated him. You talk about loneliness. You talk about loneliness. You don't even know loneliness. There he is suspended on that cross between heaven and earth. And he's all alone. When King David died, he could say, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. With me. But Jesus couldn't say that. Jesus couldn't say it. 
because he was all alone. The only thing Jesus could say was, my God, my God. Do you see the loneliness? Do you see what he bore for us? Because see, listen, listen, sin separates you from God. I know you don't hear preaching like this much anymore, but that, the other kind of preaching, it isn't helping anybody. You know what's going to help us? Truth. Truth is what helps you. Sin separates us from God. Sin separated him that day. And I want to tell you, he bore on the cross that day my sin. He bore on the cross that day my shame. He bore on the cross that day my suffering. And he bore on the cross that day my separation. And I want to say this, I love him. I love Jesus. I love him. And you ought to love him. And you ought to be thankful for what he did for you on that cross. What about his victorious resurrection? I promise you, I see the runway lights. I am bringing this plane in for a landing. Because my, my, uh, my administrator right now is going, Pastor, I got to get people out of here and get the other crowd in here, and I understand that. It ain't going to really make much difference. I just want him to know I understand it. I need the anointing to preach. He's going to need the anointing to get them out and get the other crowd in. Amen. We all need Jesus. Amen. <laughs> Ooh, staff meeting's going to be rough this week. Isaiah 53, 9 and 10, And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Now listen. Yet it pleased the Father to bruise Jesus. He has put Jesus to grief. The Father put Jesus to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. Listen now. When you make him an offering for sin, that means he died. Now look what it says. It says, he shall see his seed. That doesn't sound like a dead man to me. Sounds like he did die, but now he's going to see his seed. Look at the next phrase in that verse. He, the Father, shall prolong his day. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Hallelujah. Doesn't sound like a dead man to me. What does it mean when it says, and they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death? Listen, Jesus was buried in a tomb nobody had ever been buried in before. And he was buried in a borrowed tomb. And I love what S.M. Lockridge says about that, the great black preacher. He says, Ain't no need to buy one if you're just going to use it on the weekend. Amen? <laughs> Since no one had ever been laid in that tomb, it was said that Jesus came from a virgin womb and was laid in a virgin tomb. In verse 10, it says God prolonged his days. There's nobody to be compared with Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? Confucius died, he's still dead. Buddha died, he's still dead. Muhammad died, he's, he's still dead. Jesus died. Can I tell you, he got up and walked out of that grave. Can we give him praise this morning? He is over death. He is over death. He's risen. He's victorious. He lives. If Jesus had not come out of that grave, he would have just been another religious leader. He, he would have just been a, an, another prophet, another teacher. 
But the Bible says through the words of Paul in the book of Romans chapter 1 and verse 14, but Jesus is shown to be the Son of God with power. Why? By his resurrection from the grave. Finally, the visible return of Jesus. Can I tell you he's coming back? Jesus is coming back. Isaiah 53, 11 he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. You know what that means? That means one day when Pharaoh Hardison walks into heaven, Jesus isn't going to be surprised. I'm going to have some high school friends that are pretty surprised if they see me going there. But Jesus isn't going to be surprised when he sees Pharaoh Hardison walk in to the gates of heaven. He is going to say it was worth it all. When he sees you walk in, he's going to say he's going to be satisfied. That's what that means. He's going to say, it was worth it all. It was worth the shame I bore. It was worth the sin. It was worth the separation. It, it, it was worth the suffering that I bore. It was worth it if it brought Pharaoh back to God, if it brought the people of Wayne County, Johnston County, back to God. It was worth it. He'll see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant Jesus shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Look at verse 12, and I'm done. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great. That means when Jesus takes over this world, that he's going to divide the spoils with us. I know it looks like we're behind in the ninth inning. I understand that. I know Christians are mocked and ridiculed and laughed at. As a matter of fact, there's probably some people sitting right here right now mocking, laughing, ridiculing what I'm preaching. But I'm going to tell you something. We're on the winning side. We're on the winning side. I'm going to tell you something. When this whole thing's over, we're not going to be the weak. We're going to be the strong. Because the Bible says at the end, he's going to take this world over and then he's going to divide all the spoils uh, with everybody. I'm going to get John Travolta's airplane. I don't know why I said that. I just... I'm going to know how to fly it too and I'm not going to have to have a single lesson. Matter of fact, I'm not going to need an airplane. I'm about to get freaky on you. Did you know when Jesus comes and sets up his millennial reign, when I get ready to go to Hawaii, all I got to do is think about it. And I am. I've never been to Hawaii in this world. Been to the Cliffs of the Noose a couple times. That's about it. But I'm telling you, when Jesus comes and takes over this world, I'm going places, baby. Just look at your visitor friend and go, He's not crazy, I promise he's not. <laughs> Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. See, we look like the weak right now, but we're really the strong. Y'all understand that? Because why, why? How can the Lord do all this? How can he come back? How can he take over the world? How can he bind Satan and put him in prison? How can Jesus do all that? Here's why, because he poured out his soul unto death. You see that? And he was numbered with the transgressors. That's what gives him the authority. And he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. I don't mean to weird you out, but when Jesus died on that cross, he went down into hell. And he went down there, the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation chapter 1, to get the keys back. Because Satan, he took away the keys of death and hell when man sinned in the Garden of Eden. When Jesus died on the cross, he went right back down there and got those keys back. Satan uses those keys to lock us up and bind us, but Jesus Christ uses those keys to set you free. He went down there into hell and showed the scars in his hands and feet. And he took those keys back, and now salvation is ours. Can I tell you all something this morning? The only hope this world has is the return of Jesus. 
You say, well, I'm a Democrat, and I'm counting on Obama. You say, I'm a Republican, and I don't know who I'm counting on. Let me tell you something. Obama's not our salvation. Obama's not our deliverance. And I don't care what they come up with a Republican candidate. Let me tell you something. Jesus' return is the only hope this world has. I like what Vance Havner said. He said, I've given up, I've given up trying to reform Hollywood and Washington, D.C. He said, you might as well try to sell milkshakes in hell as to turn that crowd around. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He's trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He hath loosed his faithful lightning, the faithful lightning of his terrible swift sword. The truth is marching on. We're going to win. We're going to win. This is the story of Jesus. When you hear a sermon like this, some laugh, some mock, some are curious and say, I have questions, but I'll hear you later. But some here that today will believe. Some will believe. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Rising, he justified. Freely forever. One day he's coming. Oh, glorious day. Would you bow your head? Right there where you are right now. It's decision time. You will laugh, you will mock, you will be curious, or you're going to believe. Right there where you are right now, there's a decision you're going to have to make. You say, no, I'm not going to make any decision. I, I'm just going to put it off. But you see, that is a decision. Just right now, right there where you are, just say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I understand that you died in my place on the cross. I understand that you rose from the dead to give me life, and I have to be honest, Lord Jesus, and say that I've been trying to avoid you. I've been offering up excuses like, you know, hypocrites in the church and preachers that are hypocrites. But I understand, Jesus, that there's no fault in you. So today, I'm going to take my eyes off of people. And I'm going to fix my eyes on you. I need you, Jesus. I've been trying to run my own life. And I've been trying to run my own affairs. And it's not getting any better. I surrender to you right now. My life. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. Forgive me of my sins, Lord Jesus. Wash me with your precious blood. Save my soul today. Lord Jesus, I give you my life from this day on. And I don't understand everything, Lord. And I still have a lot of questions. But if you'll help me, if you'll have me, if other Christians will help me, I'll live every day the rest of my life for you. But I've got to have your help what there is of me, my talent, my time, my treasure. I lay it all at your feet today and I give you my life. I give you my life. I'm tired of just tipping my hat to you. I want to put my arms around you today. I want to embrace you as my Savior. 
and my Lord. If you'll receive me, Lord, I want to be adopted into the family today. Thank you for receiving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for saving me. With every head bowed and every eye closed, please, please. No one looking. If you prayed that prayer today, you say, Pastor, I wasn't really sure where I was with God when I came in, but I got my stuff right with God today. Would you just slip your hand up real quick, real quick, just put it right back down. God bless you. I see you. I see you. Father, thank you for these who have raised their hand. I believe probably there are more, but it's a pretty intimidating thing to raise your hand publicly in a place, even when you don't think people are looking, it's still intimidating. So give those who made that commitment to you the courage to tell somebody. Send somebody a private email or a private message of some kind and say, I, I accepted Jesus today. Thank you, Father, for this day. We love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said...